I want to look again at two passages of Scripture. I'll reference a third. We're talking about God's eternal love. God's eternal love. What a subject. Probably the most used word in the human language is love. And yet it's a word that is identified and has meaning as a person identifies it to himself. It's not so much what does it mean from the Bible standpoint or from God's side. What does God mean by love? When the Bible said God loves us or that God is love, how do I process that? How do I understand that as a Christian? Because my definition of love, I grew up with my definition of love is how I think it ought to be. That I think we ought to do this or you ought to do that. If you do that, it shows love. If you don't do that, well, you're a hateful soul. But I think all of my definitions of love are selfish. I think like most people, I love myself. I love what pleases me. I love what I like. I love people who like what I like. I love people who are like me. That's where my love was at. And yet when you come to the Lord, God didn't love me because I was lovable. And I promise you all this, God didn't love you because of something you had done or by some character of your life. He loved you because he wanted to. Now listen to this, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be blameless or without blame before him in love. Now, I don't know how fast you all read and all of that, but that's worthy of you stopping to ask yourself, what did I just read? How do I relate to that? Because he goes on to say in verse 5, having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. In verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. Verse 9, according to his good pleasure, which he had purposed in himself. Everything that God does, he does because he wants to. You think of this, there was nothing about anybody in this room that would cause God to love you. And once he sets his love on you, when he does, and there's a way you can know. But when he does, it's there for good. You're not going to get so bad he quits loving you. You're going to get so nasty that he won't love you anymore. Because you see, when God begins to love you, God begins to change you. When God's love is a powerful, divine force that when it settles on a human being, a human being is changed. He's affected. You still think, you still walk, you still do things, but your life changes. Others around you may not change, but you are. Why? Because he that called you out of darkness is he that made you his tabernacle. And when he came in, he begins doing a work. Doesn't the Bible say God is at work in you? both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Didn't it say that? Then what's he doing in there? Because when the Bible says God is love, we could say divine love occupied your being. And in that body of corruption, 
because we were all like an unclean thing. Remember that? He begins doing something that only God can do. It shows up in your life as you live. People notice it. You're different than you used to be. And you contrast that with numerous people that just attend church. They never change. They're never any different. Their attitudes are as vile before as it will be later. They just go to church. They have opinions. They have attitudes. They still gossip and backbite. They're not loving people. But when God loves a man or a woman, when God begins to love the way he loves, your life changes. And it'll continue to change the rest of your life. Remember the song, Love Lifted Me? That's what it does. We can't always understand it. Because, again, in the book of Ephesians, he said his book, I think in chapter 3, his love is beyond knowledge. I can't explain it. I can't always explain human emotions for other people that would you lay down your life for somebody you don't even know. We see it in the military in war all the time. People die for people that aren't even worth dying for, but they die for them because it's something about your nature. There's something about the word we can't define, but there's something about the word we can see its work. When you change vile people or unregenerate people like us, when you begin to change a person from the way they were, that attitude, what an age we're in, in your face. When God begins to change all of that, he makes you different. He makes you more tolerant, more caring, more compassionate, more considerate, more tender, kinder, more thoughtful to other people than you've ever been before. You even find pleasure doing that. You find after you do something for somebody that can't do for themselves and you do it not because they deserve it, but because of something that compels you from within. What a joy and a peace that comes from all of that. This is the work of God in those people that it says, according to the good pleasure of his will, he drew out of darkness into his marvelous light. And those people in whom he is doing his work. It's hard for Christians to swallow the fact that there are multitudes of Christians, people who attend church, who never change. But you will always change when God loves you. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 31, the other verse. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. He said, The Lord hath appeared unto me of old, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. And then these words, Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Our word loving kindness is also a word for mercy. And I'll put it in my own terrible translation. Mercy is when God does for you what you cannot do for yourself. And he does it because of his grace. See, mercy comes through grace. God's display of his mercifulness to us. God have mercy on me, a sinner. God showing mercy is God's loving kindness being displayed. It can only happen, though, as God does it. That's hard to understand, but it's true. Only as God does any of this can any of this happen. 
We're not capable of doing anything apart from God that is acceptable to God. Just like being drawn out of darkness. I think we assume that someday we'll come to the Lord. I used to think when I'm old and decrepit and unable to function and do anything anymore, have fun, I'll go to church and I'll get right with God and get ready for heaven. I really did think like that. I was scared all through college, going to college, that I would die and go to hell. I was. But I always thought, well, I'm not ready for that because I don't think I can live the way you're supposed to. Inherently, we know that. So I think I'm going to wait till I get old. You're an old man. And then I get old, I'll come to the Lord and, you know, and do all of that. But I realized one day an awakening verse was that you can't come to whenever you want to. You don't choose him. He chooses you. Now, you can get up out of your seat from some emotional sermon. There can be some great human appeal and, oh, don't you want to see your grandmother and your dog? You can go through all of that. And people by emotion can come forward. You can make the right choices. You can say whatever you want to. You can say, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. You say that. That doesn't mean you do. It doesn't mean there's any evidence of it, but you can say that. You're a church person. But you cannot be, I guess I'll just say it like this because I know it's true. You cannot be anything God wants you to be unless God makes you like that. You cannot, by human effort, become anything spiritual. You can act spiritual for a while. God knows I've been in this long enough. I've seen, oh man, people used to brag about how spiritual they were. They've already quit. Preacher of one of the biggest churches in America years ago broke up a family in his church having an affair with the secretary. Say, how could that be? It happens all the time. This is a game that a lot of people play. You go to church, you act churchy, and yet your heart never changes. Still corrupt, still vile, still self-serving. It's still like that. Only God can change it, but you can act different. You can act any way you want to, but only God can change you. It's hard to tell the difference sometimes because the Bible says wheat and tares grow together. They look alike. They sing the same songs. They raise their hands the same way. They dance and clap. They do all the same things. They look alike. How can you tell the difference? Well, it'll show up. Because I'll guarantee this, that when God draws you out of the world and out of some stagnant lifestyle, fruitless, self-serving way of living, when he draws you out of that and he brings you to himself, He does it with purpose. Your life is going to change. Your heart will be broken. Because the Bible says godly sorrow works repentance. You begin to break down. There's called brokenness. There's contrition. You have a contrite heart. You're sorry for all the dumb and ugly things you've ever done. You can look back at your past and now you're embarrassed. We used to be able to laugh about all the dumb things you did. Now you're ashamed of yourself because the devil was ruling your life and making a fool out of you. I've been there. But when God draws you and you come, your life changes. Everything changes. 
Listen to this. John chapter 6 and verse 44. You don't have to turn to that. Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which sent me draws him. You agree with that? Well, can you join church? Sure you can. Can you raise your hand in a moment of sadness? Sure you can. I did that once. Didn't last long, but I did it. We all have the moments we feel bad about the way we live, but we get over it and go back the way we live. But not when you get saved. When God gets his hand on you and he draws you out, you are forever changed because he'll never let go of you. You may uglify yourself and you may go out and do a lot of things you shouldn't do at a desperate moment, a sad moment, or a lost a job or a marriage problem or something, but you can be sure that God will never let go of you and everything he needs to do. It's like Paul wrote, he that started a good work, he'll finish it. Most of your old friends will leave you. They'll think you're weird. They'll think this new way of living is the dumbest thing they've ever heard. They'll leave you alone. You'll be rejected and forsaken. Why? Because you found a new way of living. You can't get away from this. And yet in your heart, I want more of it. So everything now becomes honest. Even the singing, the songs and everything, there's a feeling that you have in your heart for it. There's something real and genuine about it. It's no longer just Sunday morning, but it's my life. God drew me out of the miry clay in Psalm 40. God set my feet upon a rock. He said, God put a new song in my mouth. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. God did all of that. Why would he take somebody like you? Why would he take somebody like me? You don't know all of my life. I don't know all of yours, but I'm tell you all of us sinned. Why would he take us, save us, draw us to himself to impart to us his life? Why would he do that? Because he said in Ephesians 4, because it was according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, concerning God's love for us, this is what John wrote in his little epistle. He said, in this was manifested the love of God toward us. This is how God showed us that he loved us because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. We didn't love him. Like Romans 5 says, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he loved us. Well, you know, while we were honky-tonking in some low-grade dive, he loved the sin from the foundation of the world. But before there was ever a world, as I said two weeks ago, before you've ever made, God chose you. I can't change that. That's Ephesians 1. God made a sovereign choice before anything was of what would be and who would be in it, and on what day they would do what he had ordained or decreed that they would do, and they did it. 
and say, well, then if that's the case, why even witness or testify to anybody? Because we don't know who anybody is. I believe I'm one of God's people, but I have to live to demonstrate it. Because without works, your faith is dead in a hammer. So we got a life to live. We can't assume on God anything. If I believe I am his, we'll probably maybe get to it. If not, it's in the Bible, Matthew 24. You got to endure to the very end of your life. There's no time you let up, draw back. Your family thinks you're crazy. Your friends think you're crazy. They think you're too much into religion too deep. I was teaching school. I remember some of the kids that got saved the last school I taught at. We had quite a move of God in the school. A lot of kids came to the Lord. We used to gather together each morning before school in the library. The library was full, this full. And they came to just to get together before <laughs> school to have devotions. They never had it in their life. What never done at home. Sunday school was just a game. Things were real for the first time in their lives, it seemed to be. And they came together just to have 15 minutes of God time. And so things could begin to change in their life. Sure, a lot of them went back to the world. Few of them didn't. But God said there would only be a few. But how do I know that God loves me? God sent Jesus Christ in this world to die for somebody like me. John explained that so well the other night of what he went through so I could be here. I would like for God to so impress upon me that moment, that evening, that day that Jesus died. I would like for the divine influence on my life to trigger a response, that gratefulness towards God would forever be before me. Lord, I am so thankful. Oh, God, look what he did for me. Lord, I am so sorry for all the things I did that caused him to die like that. Teach me, Lord, and enable me to love you back the way you've loved me. See, we are only able to love as what? As he loves. Are you all still in here? We are only able to love him as he Loves us. Like you said, we love him because he first loved us. How did he love us? He made us his habitation. He began to make us aware of him. Things on the scripture, we used to have a Bible, couldn't find anything. Now we're starting to find it. Things we used to read were just ink on paper. Now they become life. We begin to read things and we thought, oh God. Oh, Lord, what else is in here? And you begin to read. And the word does become your life. It does become, well, like Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. <laughs> then you begin to enjoy meeting together and having church. You don't need a watch anymore when you come to church. You don't care how long God wants to talk to you. You're just glad he wants to talk to you. You pray, God, give me a heart that's open, sensitive, and tender 
I don't want to be a church member and just go to church all my life. I did that. I want this to be an encounter. I want this to be a time in which we've all set aside to assemble together. Talk to me. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, that I can walk in your truth. Make this morning have a meaning for me. I want to go out of here better off than when I came in. I want to go out of here with some new conviction, something new and fresh I want to work on, or something new and, and loving that I want to continue with. I want something to happen. All of this is possible because of what Jesus did. God loves us like that. We've taught about this. We've taught on this thing for two or three weeks. And let me go back to where I was last week where I started. Because the question I asked you last week was, how do we demonstrate as Christians, how do we demonstrate back to God that we love him? If we have been loved, if we have been loved, how do we show him that we in response to his love, that we love him. What can we do? The Bible says there's a lot of things. Some are major. The one major thing, at least to me, was the one we started with last week, where he said, if a man loved me in John 14, 21, if a man has my words and a man keeps my words, that's the man who loves me, because that's the way it is. And if a man loves me, he will be loved by my Father. Now, if you want to narrow that down, which Christians don't like, but, you know, it's why we're here. Here's what it says. If you love God, if there is this divine affection in your heart for him, one of the very first things you will be compelled to do is to live according to his word. If he said, this is the way, walk ye in it. If teach me thy way so I can walk in thy truth is what teaching is all about. Then as God, by his spirit, opens our eyes to see what he says, for me to say, I will live like that, I will do that, is one of the ways that I love the Lord back. I'm only responding to what he did. It's faith. Faith works. Remember Galatians 5 says, faith works by love. We are faithful to God as a response of his love for us. We're loving him back. Whatever you want to do, Lord, what do you want me to do? Open my eyes. Okay, you want me to do that? Okay, you want me to trust you for my healing? You want me to do that? Did you bring me that at the cross? I did. Lord, I'm not used to that. I don't know a whole lot about that. But you want me to let go of my ways and start doing it your way. Yes. Okay, I will. I will. And then this is whenever the whole world begins to narrow their... You mean to tell me that you're going to just trust the Lord instead of get something fixed or done? What's wrong with you? Christians say that to Christians. What would these Christians do if you said back to them, you mean to tell me that you're a Christian and you don't want to trust the Lord? Well, that don't sound right. 
You mean to tell me that you say you love God, but you're afraid of him? You're afraid he will fail? You're afraid it might not work? You're afraid that he might not supply all of your needs? Or he might not fix this or save your child or your marriage or whatever? You mean to tell me he's got 8,000 promises in this book and you're not really sure he'll do any of them? Who are you serving? Either he will or he won't. He said he watches over his word to do what he said. He gave us his word. He said it will accomplish that which he pleases. It will prosper in what he sent it to do. All your needs can be relieved. That's how much he loves you. The question is, will you regard him as reliable, faithful, and honest? Did he mean what he said? Well, you, that's your decision. The just. If a man is right with God, the just shall what? Live by faith. Taking God at his word. Faith doesn't make the word true. The word is true whether you believe it or not. A loving God has opened your eyes. Not everybody can see things, but God opens your eyes and you can see his promises. Love is what says, Lord, I, I'm willing to do that. I'm scared. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I mean, I, I, I just, I, Lord, the whole world is sick. Nobody can afford to be sick anymore because of cost. Lord, you want me to just trust Jesus? And you know how people talk. You know what you've said to each other about that subject. Well, I'll tell you one. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That's what we said. But that's what God said. I'm the Lord that heals you. Well, why would I trust him to heal me? Why would I disregard all the human inventions and say, well, the world needs that, and I thank God he cares about the world that much to give him that, but for me, he's given me something better. Why should that be offensive to anybody? It's just like the whole world sees the only way to have anything in life is to go in debt. And yet God said, I shall supply all of your needs and all of that, borrow a servant to the lender. Just let God bring it in his own time. Well, that's crazy because I want it now because we're self-serving. I want mine now. We're not going to wait on the Lord. And we're offended when the preacher says we should. That's unchanged human nature that acts like that. And if that's the way you are, then you've never been changed yourself. It didn't say you were a bad person. But I'll tell you this, when God begins to love you, he begins to soften you up. And things that once were not clear begin to get clear. Yes, you are still concerned about what everybody thinks, but Jesus said, if a man loves me, he will keep my word. And this is what he said. That happens. Whoso, he said in 1 John, whoso hath his words and keeps it, in him verily is the love of God perfected. That is, in him verily does the love of God bring us to the goal that God has for us. But I could talk on this subject of faith the rest of the morning. 
because it is such an immense and important subject in the Bible. But think of it like this. You cannot love God more than when you trust him. Because in all your situation and all the darkness around you and all the difficulty that you think you're facing, God who loves you gives you his word, which he cannot change. Never too hard to be performed. And he says, I will do it. All I think he wants is that humbled heart that says, then I will trust you to do it. I will trust you all the way, Lord, and I will do that. The thing about faith is that faith is a willingness on your part to take God, whom you regard as reliable, at his word. If God said it, it has to be so. And that's what we'll do. What you don't know and what we will learn or what you're learning, if it's happening, is that the more you do that, the more things inside begin to change. Confidence, peace, peace and joy in believing that Paul wrote about in Romans. And even though your faith is put to the test, and it will be, we'll all be tested. He talks about the trial of our faith. we this way and that way. He goes on, Peter goes on to say, whom having not seen you love. What do you mean? Well, you're honoring and trusting somebody. The only way you know anything about them is what a book says. This book. Everything you're relying on is in a book. It's been copied, recopied. We have no original manuscripts. It's been changed, and they say in modern copies and translations and scholarly people have fought it and attacked it. Of course, the whole purpose of that was is to get you to doubt that maybe what you're reading is the Word of God. Oh, the Bible, they say, contains the Word of God. It may not really be the Word of God, so you're relying on something that's not really real. How do you know what you've got in your lap is the Word of God? Well, I don't know. I have to believe. You mean you're willing to trust your well-being on the content of a book? That's all I got. I rest my case this morning, standing here before you. That's all I got. I got a book. I got the strangest book in the world. It's a book that as you read it, things stir on the inside. Something moves on you. Your pattern of thought begins to change. You begin to get either uneasy or happy. What kind of a book is this? It's the most popular book in the world, least read. It's a Bible. I know, but it's just a book. It is just a book, isn't it? But it's a book of God. It tells you what God is saying. Do you believe it? Well, that's... now here's the church. Well, look. Let's be real. The modern church says, let's be real. We know God can do it. Can he? Come on, everybody. Yeah, 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 wow. We know God can do it. We know he has. We've read history. We know that God has done great and wonderful things. We know he's able. 
I mean, he's God. He created the world. Yeah, I mean, he can do all that. But let's face it, folks. He may not want to do it for you. He may want you in your situation to languish longer or to live like that as a testimony to him. So let's not get all tore up about his word not coming to pass. I mean, he may not want it to. I wonder who taught that. All that does is you read the Bible and you make up your own self-centered mind about what you think it means and what you don't think it means. And then you make yourself the God of your life by saying, well, I don't, you know, and then that's you. You do it your way. And the church goes this way and that way and believes nothing. Well, if I told you this, the church today that doesn't believe the word of God doesn't love God. They do not love the Lord. See how strange that sounds and ugly that sounds? But it's true. The Bible says, if a man has my words and he keeps them, he loves me. And not only does he love me, but he said, my father will love him. And my father and I, Jesus said in John 14, 23, we will make ourselves known to him. We will begin to fellowship with him. There will be this strange addition to his life he's never had before that people begin to notice that you're changing. What's going on with you? And Oh, how I love Jesus. Why are you singing so, you know, it's not even in church. You're driving down the road singing. Because he first loved me. What's going on? I'm getting loved. I can't explain all of that, I just know that there is something in my heart like a stream running free. Makes me feel so happy, as happy as can be. And when I think of Jesus and what he's done for me, something in my heart like a stream running free. What is wrong with you? No, what is right with me? All my cussing is giving way to praise. All this nasty, opinionated attitude is giving way to something else. All them lustful glances is turning into a bowed head. What's happening? God's loving me. Well, I ain't had that happen to me. You don't love him. He loves you first, and you cannot love God the way you're supposed to until he first does that. And if I was not in a loving mode this morning, I would be concerned. I would. Because it is necessary for us to understand that when a man loves God, a man trusts the Lord, he uses his faith, and he counts on God to do what he said. A second way you manifest your love. If God has loved you, this will naturally flow. Turn to John 13. This will naturally flow. John chapter 13 and verse 34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Question we would bring up in teaching is, how has Christ loved me? 
Well, first of all, he did not love you because you deserved to be loved. Amen? He did not love you because you earned his love. And the very people that God will ask us to love will be people around you that are not exactly your type or your kind or your style. And yet, as a Christian, something in you will care about that person. You may not be able to relate to their background or to their lifestyle, but you care. Why? It's God. God does that. That's what he does on the inside. Go on. Verse 35. By doing that, shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you what? If you love one another. And again, we don't love each other because we have earned it, deserved it. Not necessarily because I like you. As Christians, you know, I'm put myself in the country now. You may drive down the road one morning and a farmer's cow is stuck in the mud. Farmers didn't know it. Now, you could say, well, that's his problem, not mine. I got other things to do. But what happens when God loves you? He says, get that cow. That cow's suffering. It ain't my problem. It is now. Help him get that cow out of there. You wouldn't want to be in that mire. I'm not a cow, I know, but you wouldn't want to be in that mire, would you? No, sir. Now I'm being a daddy. So he turns around and goes back and tells a farmer whom he really doesn't get along with. Honorary old cuss, as others say. Let me put it like this. We'll start over. This guy's a man you never were comfortable around. How's that? That's better than being honorary old cuss, isn't it? But anyway, <laughs> so you go up to his house. What? Um, your cow stuck down the road. What? Your cow is stuck in a ditch. Would you like me to help you get her out? Where is she? So you show him. And this farmer's thinking, well, why would you tell me that? You don't even like me. Look, I care for your animal. I know you care for your animal. And I'm going to try to help you get her out of there. Would a Christian do that? Do all church members do that? No. But a Christian would. A Christian would. You see, loving each other is not easy to do. I like to have my own little group that I love. This is my little group right here. I just love them. Until we get a little fussed and I don't like them. We tend to gravitate to our own little group. The word in the Bible for like is phileo. The word for love, a, a sacrificial giving love, is agape or agapeo. And most people have this phileo love. You know, I like to go to church. I like to sing the hymns. I like to fellowship. And the old wooden churches we used to be in, you know, with all the woodwork in them, used to smell like a church. You ever go in an old church during the day and it smells like a church? Yeah. I used to go in this one in our town where I grew up in. It was just an old Christian church and just, you know, a century of just smell. I liked it. I enjoyed that. Going to church with my friends after I got saved, you know, going to church, singing hymns. 
laughing about something, going home, been to church. A lot of people, that's, that's what they like. Not necessarily love, because they keep an eye on the watch and any kind of mistake that's made during the service. If they don't do it right, they complain and yak. They like things to go well. They like fellowship. They like people. They don't love God. It's just something about the way it is. We have been trained by religion to seek the shelter of a little church or a nice church or a comfortable place where we can go and be happy. We don't really go to that place on Sunday to be challenged. We don't like to get convicted. We don't like to sit for two hours and ten minutes or wherever long it's been. But there's just something about loving people that's not easy. Some people are so aggravating. I believe God puts aggravating people right in your path. I don't want to start telling the stories because I can't. I can tell a bunch of them now, but he puts Mrs. So-and-so right in your path. And no matter what kind of good day you're having, she's designed to make you have a bad day. No matter how hard you try to be happy, and she's such a pleasant soul. And behind all of that, there's a tiger And you have to love these people. I don't necessarily think you have to like the way they do things, but love in the way that God loved you when you were like that to him. And he was tolerant of you. He didn't just discard you because God could always see something in there that he's going to use. It's something good. So there comes a time you just... Boy, you listen to them, yak and carry on. You just take it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. If a man get talking like that, you say, now, wait a minute. But if a woman talk like that, and you say, now, wait a minute, and you're rude and harsh, and you're a mean old ugly somebody. <laughs> but you just love them. You do your best. And you hope that by you not being like that or lowering yourself down to the level they seem like they're on, that they will get the message. They're not going to argue with you. They're not going to fuss with you. They're not going to call names. They're going to listen. They're going to be tolerant of you. Loving people. Let me tell you what Jesus said. Turn to Luke chapter 10. This is what Jesus said. Jesus gave us an illustration of what he meant by loving your neighbor. Verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answering said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy might, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast answered right, do this, and you shall live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, Well, okay, who's my neighbor? He said, You know, love your neighbor as you. Oh, okay, who, who's my neighbor? Jesus said, Your neighbor is the people you like the most. Your neighbor is that person, that lady, that man that 
seem to like you and cater to you and admire you and you feel good around it. That's who your neighbor is. Actually, he didn't say that, did he? Jesus said it like this. This is how he explained who our neighbor is. He said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest. And I, well, I must say it, a preacher. A certain minister, a preacher, came that way, and when he saw him, he passed by him on the other side. Maybe he said, well, it's not my problem. It's not my cow. Not my problem. Verse 32, and likewise, a Levite. That was a priestly tribe. When he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Then it says, but a certain Samaritan. Now, you know who the Samaritans were. They would have called them half-breeds. During the captivity, when all of Israel was taken to Babylon, the Babylonians sent people from other captured nations to occupy Israel so it wouldn't just be all weeds. And these were foreigners who lived there. And some of the Jews who stayed behind, who were, could never make trouble, mingled with these foreigners, and they were called Samaritans. They believed the law the way they interpreted it, but they weren't pure Jewish. They were half-breeds, they would call them Samaritans. They weren't well-liked by the Jews at all. So this is the kind of person that you wouldn't like. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where this man was. And when he saw him, he said he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, whatever that is, and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever you spend more, when I come again, I will repay you. Now, Jesus asked the question, now, which one of these men do you think was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? Well, they had to say the Samaritan. He said, well, what the Samaritan did it's what the whole law is all about, is that you care about human beings. Some human beings won't let you care for them. We know that, and you can't. But there's a lot of people that you can care for. People in the church, people in this room, people out of this room. We just had a team of men come back from a, another country to help people who could not help themselves that God brought their attention here. We saw their need and we thought, you know, we can do something about that because they don't need much. And we got enough people that in a short amount of time, we can help those people realize a better situation than they have. Let's take our resources, our money, our time, time away from our job where we make money to feed our own families, Let's go down there and see if we can help these people. They are, as Christians, our brothers and our sisters. And you go down and you help them and you do that. Not everybody can go. Not everybody should go. They don't need me down there trying to carry a bucket of something around. I ain't going to do it. This is what I carry around here is enough for you. See, you all go do it. But you care. You see people that don't have anything 
And you know in your heart, I'm glad I do have something. What can I do to help that person? The Bible speaks of having pity on the poor as a way of loving people that God loves. I mean, God loves those people, doesn't he? Well, he does. He loves those people. He's meeting those people's needs by people who love. This is what he's talking about. This is how we love. Notice in this illustration here, he said compassion in verse 33. He took care of him in verse 34. He said, if you spend any more on him when I come back, I'll pay you back in verse 35. And he said in verse 37, go do thou likewise. That's what love does. It's caring for each other. It's not yakking against each other. It's not backbiting. Backbiting is never love. It's usually resentment. You care. You have compassion. You want to relieve the needs of other people. You want to somehow be involved in helping them. And sometimes you do that so they never know it was you that helped them, so they can't praise you. You don't want any glory for this. You want God to be glorified. This is how you love. It's caring. It's compassion. Jesus said it like this, do unto others. You, as disciples, he said, you do unto other people as you would have other people do for you. Would you want to be helped in this or that? Then go help somebody. I told somebody once, I probably said it a number of times. Somebody came in to talk and were kind of down and blue. Real circumstances. I'm not making light of that. I'm just saying they had one of those blue days. And I remember saying to one or two of them, I said, here's what you ought to do. You go home and bake you a whole plate full of cookies. And you take those cookies to that person, to the person we were talking about. They kind of like, what? I said, yeah. Why don't you do something for somebody else for once in your life? Why don't you give a sacrifice of yourself for somebody else's good for once in your life? I don't mean send a hundred dollars to Red Cross and a little child with flies all over. I'm, that's fine if you want to do that. I don't send money to any big organization, never. If I'm going to send it somewhere, I want to get in the pocket of who's going to do it and let them take that money there. But you care. You love. You put yourself in another person's shoes. I know some of us look around, we know that so-and-so is going through a hard time, this one's going through a hard time, and you feel stirred up to help them in some way. Maybe just go clean your house for them. Maybe it's to mow the grass. There's a lot of things you can do. It's just letting God speak to you because it's God who does the loving. He uses you, but it's God who does all the loving. Go back to Matthew chapter 22. Because he'll quote what we just read, a little bit of it. Matthew 22, verse 36. Listen at this. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, that we love him. Now notice, 
The second commandment, he's not talking about graven images, not making a graven image or taking his name in vain or, or doing something on the Sabbath day, the first four commandments. He said, but the second commandment is like it. Wait a minute, no, wait a minute. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is a great commandment. The second one is like that. What do you mean? Well, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If we in this room loved the Lord and loved each other, there would never be a need for an army. There would never be world conflicts. There would be no need for anything, no need for jails, prisons. There would be nothing needed like that. You know why? Because we would never hurt each other. We would never harm each other. We would never steal from each other. If we loved the Lord, we wouldn't infest our body with drugs and any other corruption you put in it. You wouldn't do that. You'd honor God. This is his house. You'd honor him more than that. You wouldn't put the major point of your life in pleasure and feeling good. You would just say, I want God to feel good. And for thy pleasure... We were created, and that's what I want. You love him. He said, now you love your neighbor like that. You love your neighbor as yourself. He said in 1 John 4, 21, and this new commandment that we have from him is that he who loves God love his brother also. That's the Christian life. Listen. The whole message of the Bible is love God and love your fellow man. God so loved the world that he did what? That he made it possible for fallen man to come to him and be his. That's love. That's how much he loved us. Love doesn't gripe. Love doesn't complain. You've read 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't sit around complaining and griping and bawling and squalling and yakking. Love's not fault-finding and finger-pointing. Love doesn't do that. We deserved all of that. We were like that. He said, now that God has taken up his residence in us, we quit doing that because that's what we always did. We don't do that no more. The old man is dead. All things become new. Think of what would happen in any church if everybody was like that. Right here in this little group we got. What would happen if we were all like that? There's no telling how God would, what does the song say? Sweep over my soul, sweep and fathomless billows of love and all of that. No wonder we would look forward to going to church. Somebody said, let's have church tomorrow night. Let's have church every night. They are down there in the Dominican Republic. When God visits you all the time, you want to be with him all the time. Love. We'll close you. Go to Proverbs, if you will. Go to Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, chapter 10. And while you're in Proverbs, let me read this. I should have had you turn to this, but you stay in Proverbs. Listen at, at these words. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. If you're one of them... Do this. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, 
Put on bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do these. And above all these things, put on love. Love is what brings about your kindness and your meekness and your gentleness and humility and long-suffering and, and your forbearance of others. It's love that does that. You're not like that, but when God makes you like that, this is what you do. You become a caring soul, a loving soul. Listen to these words. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. This is what makes everything work right. This is what makes everything arrive at God's goal. It's us being changed of God, giving everybody some room, esteeming others better than yourself, giving your chair for that and moving to the back. Humbleness. Letting God just have his rule in your life, he said, it's what makes the church the way it ought to be. That's what he said. Proverbs 10, 11. Listen to this. Are you there? Verse 11, hatred stirs up strife, doesn't it? But love does what? You mean to tell me that if there's a juicy story to be told, you don't even know if it's true, but boy, you'd like for somebody else to know it. Are you telling me that it's because you love a person and you hate what sin would do, and it would be sin, that you would put your love for God over above your juicy tail, and when you do that, it's an act of love? It is. Look at Proverbs 17 and verse 9. Somebody done you wrong? Somebody in your past done you wrong? That's why you backbite. Listen to this. He that covereth a transgression. That's somebody who has offended you, been offensive to you. He that covereth a transgression does what? Seeketh love. But he that repeats a matter, gossips, talks about it, separateth chief or very friends. That's why churches split. That's why they divide. That's why church members are often hateful. I mean it like that. I grew up in it. I was in a church split once. Oh, boy, when it comes out, it comes out. Whew. I was as guilty of causing it as anybody else. I grew up like that. You say something about me, I got something to say to you, bud. You talk about me, I say, well, <laughs> what do you think I'm going to say about you? Well, I don't have to cover this. Well, go somewhere else then. Now, that was my Christian love. How hateful I must have been early on. And God, God put up with me. I am so thankful this morning that I'm still breathing. I am still thankful. Let me close with this. If God dwells in you, this is what the Bible says in 1 John 4. 
If we love one another, if we love each other, God dwells in us. If we love each other, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected by us. All it has to do with somebody else. Remember, the whole gospel story is love God, love your neighbor. That's what God did to the world. That's what Jesus did for us. The whole thing. They said, we know that God dwells in us when we love each other. If we're not loving, if we don't love each other, God does not dwell in you. Is that okay to say that? If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, maybe it's a race thing. Maybe it's a black-white thing. Maybe it was Oriental thing in the war, Korean War, or maybe another war. God knew when I got saved, he couldn't forget what happened in World War II with the Japanese. And he, he didn't have anything good ever to say about them, ever. He saw friends killed by them. He killed as many as he could himself, he said. He just seethed with this hatred. When he saw an Oriental, he just kind of, you know what that is? That's hate. That's hate. And the Bible says, if a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? How indeed? Well, I didn't get done today. You know what that means. Sorry about it. You get another week. But this is one subject I'm not interested in hurrying up through. If it's possible and God so anoints, I'd like to glean every morsel out of this subject so that we don't miss anything here. That everything that God says is like a little powder, a little seed he drops around here. That we all get affected. Something gets planted that will bear fruit later. Amen. God loves his people. And he will never stop loving them. We will love each other. And we will never stop loving each other. You may walk away, but I'll continue to love you. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless your word to these, your people. I pray that your blessing is on the content that what has been said today is of you. And yet I ask you to cause these people not to believe anything I've said. I'm not their source of life, but I ask them to believe what you confirm by your spirit as being your word. I want to thank you this morning for being here, for bringing us here, giving us another day, another morning in our busy lives to assemble, and to hear. And I ask you in Jesus' name to minister to everybody that is here, all of us, so that there is nobody who leaves this building without something that goes with them. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Beloved, 
Let us love one another For love is of God And everyone that loveth is born of God And knoweth God He that loveth not Knoweth not God For God is love Love it Let us love one another First John 4, 7 let us love one another Love is of God And everyone that loveth is born of God And knoweth God He that loveth not Knoweth not God For God is love Love Let us love one another first Let's sing it again. Oh, beloved, let us love one another. Love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, first John. Hallelujah.